We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net growth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest, and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors, like you, pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com slash investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Hello, everybody. It is March 2020, and this is the monthly market update that I try and do every month for you guys, a compilation of different news articles that I've come across this past month. So you guys can get all the show notes to this at simplepassivecashflow.com slash green11. Podcast listeners can get access to the recording on the YouTube channel or go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter if you're checking this out later and you want to get all the past monthly updates there. If you haven't heard of me before, my name is Lane Kawoka, ex-engineer. I have the uh, Simple Passive Cashflow podcast on, on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. So first headline here, and I think a lot of us have been on this roller coaster ride the past, I'd say past week. I took this article a few days ago. It took stocks only six days to fall into correction, the fastest drop in history. So this was back on February 27th, and it was the quickest 10% decline all time. And I believe it's gone up a couple of times and down once. I mean, today it went up a thousand points. Just craziness, if you ask me. And it's all fake money. I don't have any stocks. My stuff is all in things that I feel like I can control and cash flow, whether the stock goes up 5% or down percent or 6% or 2%. The value is what it cash flows every month. But it's been pretty cool watching this. The Fed dropped the rate by half a percent point. You could probably say that's partially due to the coronavirus that's out. I don't really buy into the whole media thing. It's not as debilitating as the flu is. And uh, I believe the mortality rates on it, it's like 2%, but you know, I'm not a medical person, nor do I know what's really happening out there. But as I know, any 
anything, uh, the media typically throws it out of portion. So a little bit of hindsight on coronavirus. I have a couple charts in here showing what the SARS did a while ago. That was way back when in 2003. So Pensford said that the coronavirus inverted the yield curve. And again, my initial thought was that the market was overreacting to the coronavirus news classic fight to safety knee-jerk reaction. Quote here, the traders I spoke to were legitimately concerned about the long-lasting effect. Sure, the 35 BPS drop in the last few weeks was repositioning to avoid getting steamrolled in the event that the news got much worse. And of course, this was probably about a week or two weeks ago. But in the long term, the virus has the potential to pull the global economy into a recession, just like any other black swan event that we've been talking about for the past few years. China trade war, Iran, you name it, the, the euro. So there's a couple of charts here showing the decline of when SARS came into the picture. What these charts are showing is that the SARS actually made an uptick after that it was short-lived. This chart says SARS impact on the stock market was material but short-lived. So if history will repeat itself, perhaps we're, we're going to look for a little bit of a bull market on the heels of this coronavirus pandemic, supposedly. Moving on, specialty grocer Earth Fair to close all stores and liquidate inventory files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This is a health food store out on the east side of the country. This one's showing one in North Carolina. The most of their locations are near Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Sprouts, or Fresh Mart. So they're kind of just getting gobbled up by their competition. But it's showing how a lot of these other competition is pretty fierce out there. Even with something that's traditionally been thought as an emerging market, which is healthy supermarkets. CPE says industrial outlook for 2020 to 2021 remains strong. Dallas is in growth mode due to many factors such as a strong population growth, a friendly business environment, low operating costs compared to other gateway markets and limited regional competitors. And I think if you've been listening and hearing to the market, you know, this is sort of Captain Obvious news. You know, Dallas is obviously one of the front runners in terms of growth, but you dig a little bit deeper and if you're actually trying to find deals, there, it's probably banging your head against the wall or pulling your hair out, whatever you do to cope with things. You know, everybody knows about it, right? So as an investor, you want to go where the action's at, yet you want to stay away from where all the frenzy is too. So the interest rates have been coming down, as we all know. Forbes is saying the mortgage rates near three-year low. Decrease was largely due to investor uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus, as well as trade-related and geopolitical concerns. As I said earlier, the Fed drop the interest rate half a percent, which is pretty big movement. Normally they like to move it in terms of quarter points. And I think when everybody hears that that news, they automatically think that they should probably look at refinancing their mortgage. But that's not always necessarily true. The Fed's rate, it sort of is correlated with the Treasury, but it's not always. But this time, when they did drop it half a point, it did drop the Treasury. So that impacts the mortgage rates. And I locked in a big deal today with him closing. So I think we got kind of lucky there. We got like a 3.5% on a commercial loan. So pretty awesome. But I think people get a little bit too excited. I mean, 3.5%, 3 3.75, 4%. I mean, who really cares? I mean, it really doesn't make too much of a difference when you run the numbers and you run out of deal five, six years. But it sure helps. Nice when you can get lucky. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. 
I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net worth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ofund and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors like you pull their money together and get great vault discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. A report from CPE talking about Cleveland here. Cleveland multifamily report boosted the ongoing revival of the city core. So this is an example of like, you know, you have to look at it from a sub-market viewpoint. I think a lot of people will look at places like Birmingham or Cleveland. And, you know, one of the first things you should look at is the population growth or where's the population going. And that's one way of doing it, but you you really got to look in a little bit deeper and you got to look at on a sub-market. So in Cleveland, what's happening is that the the downtown area is getting most of the new development, whereas the suburbs are kind of struggling a little bit. So CPE says here, most of the new development targets downtown Cleveland, the area ranks as the largest job hubs in Ohio and is expected to see a population growth. And I followed that up with another Sherburn Williams to develop world headquarters in Cleveland. The transition to the new facilities won't occur until 2023 at the earliest. And they previously launched a nationwide search for their new headquarters before deciding to stay right at home in Ohio, where it's been based since 1866. News from Las Vegas. We had several articles about some of the older hotels. When I mean older, what was it? Like Carnival One, the ones that are maybe a, a decade or two old, but they're are finally going to make a what I would call a class A hotel and the reason why I look at this stuff is you know just I'm not interested in hotel investing but it's interesting to see another asset class how they cycle through assets and how you know, when an asset gets older some other group buys it maybe does a little bit of value add and then they take it down and then these new properties come up so dream hotel group is opening a 450 room luxury hotel on the las vegas strip this is dubbed dream las vegas the project is looking to open in 2023 of course they're gonna have a rooftop pool deck bar lounge three restaurants two additional bars gaming floor everything that you would probably want in a level hotel you guys are probably asking where is it it's going to be located across Across the street from the Mandalay Bay Resort and will be one of the first hotels seen from the iconic Las Vegas site. Property will be situated two blocks away from the new Allegiant Stadium, the future home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Maybe Tom Brady will go there. Who knows? So RE Business reports that MBA forecasts the U.S. economy to slow in 2020 as job market weakens. And I always just put these articles in here. You know, these are all commentary and you're just making wild guesses in the sky. And I like to try and 
put both good articles and bad articles, but they have a point sometimes, and sometimes these predictions never happen. But again, the media is trying to sell news articles. So for those of you guys who are looking on the screen, we are showing the trend from 2018, 19, 20, and prediction 2021, 2022 of GDP growth, which is dipping this year in 2020, but should come right back up in 2021 and 2022. Inflation is holding pretty steady at 1.8 to 2.2, 2.4% across the five years. Unemployment's again, pretty steady at just under 4%. Fed's funds rate, it's expected to dip down this year, but come back up to where it was in 2018. And the 10-year treasury and the 30-year mortgage rates are sort of fixed. They kind of follow the Fed funds rate. They're calling the 30-year mortgage to be 3.7% this year and go up to 3.8% next year and then up to 4.1% 2022. And this is pretty consistent with what I'm thinking. I think 2020 will be a little bit of a weakness or take a breath year. Pretty sure Trump is going to win. Whether you like it or not, I don't care personally. And then we might be in for another few years of, an, of a nice bull run after this is kind of my prediction. I took this excerpt from the Newark Knight Frank Multifamily Housing Capital Report from their 2019 fourth quarter report. Usually these things are just a bunch of words and blah, 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 blah. So I'll go over the highlights here. For the sales volume, they reported that investors gravitated towards markets with a strong combination of yield and growth prospects. Yeah, it's not too insightful there. It's kind of like obvious, right? In terms of cap rates, national multifamily cap rates compress eight basis points year over year, which is nothing. Although cap rates increased 16 basis points year over year in major markets, a surge of investment activity in non-major markets caused yields to fall 12 basis points. The rest I'm not going to read because it's not doesn't seem like too much of a news. You guys can check this out on the YouTube channel if you guys are so inclined to read into it. Arbor, who is a direct lender, and we use Arbor for our deals. You can go through any broker, but you know those brokers typically don't add any value and it just makes more sense to go, to go straight to the source, which is Arbor, who deals the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac large commercial paper. So in their 2019 fourth quarter small multifamily investment trends report, which are smaller multifamily apartments, I'd probably say in like the 20 to 100 unit band. They're saying that according to the Wall Street Journal's October economic forecasting survey, only about 14% of economists expect the U.S. to enter into recession in 2020. Compare that to when they tested in October of 2019, when the share was roughly 48%. So what they're saying here is the economists are sort of backpedaling and the 48% of them called a 2019 recession. And when it didn't happen, now only 14% of them are calling it for 2020. And they put this on a graph, what the survey was in 2019 and 2020, which again, is horrible data, right? It's just a survey. Who the heck knows, right? But I guess these people are a little bit more insightful, I guess, but it's still just opinion. But I think what you're just seeing is everybody wants to look like the smartest guy and calls a recession but when it doesn't happen in the year it just backs up to the next year oh it's in the next year oh it's in the next year so i think that's what you're seeing in this article again not too much news but sometimes i'll put some of these bad news articles in here just to point it out again from arbor in that same report they are graphing the spread between small multifamily cap rates and the 10-year treasury yields through fourth quarter 2019 
And this is why we do it, folks. This is why we invest and use leverage because as investors, you're making the difference between the spread between the cap rate and the year interest rate, which is basically the 10-year treasury. So if you look back from 2009 to now, it's, there's always been about a 300 to 500 point spread. It's gone up a little bit, it's gone down, but it stays pretty consistent. And I think this is one of those absolute truths in the world where this is the way the world works. And this is why I'm not too concerned where interest rates go because if interest rates go up, likely so will the cap rates. Again, as an investor, I make my money off of the spread, which is a, typically a consistent 500 to 300 point spread. And then I apply leverage on that. So if you're thinking four to one, you, you multiply this by four. So I'm sure all of you have been keeping up with the proposed budgets from Mr. Trump. But if not, I think a little excerpt on the proposed budget, which you can get online at omb.gov. I don't know why you would, would unless you don't have a day job and you don't have anything better to do. But he's proposing a $5.6 billion cut from the Department of Education funding. What does that mean? That's a 7.8% decrease. So I'll go over the negatives and some of the positives here. The negatives are they're eliminating subsidized Stafford loans. And those are the ones that don't accrue interest while you're enrolled. They're going to eliminate this supplemental education opportunity grant, which typically goes to independent students or families who make less than 30 grand a year. They're cutting the 630 million of funding to the federal work study program, reducing income driven loan repayment programs to one option. Instead of paying 10% of your income, you'd pay 12.5%. Payment plans would last 15 years instead of 20 with the remainder forgiven, but grad students would have to make payments for 30 years under income driven repayment. And they're eliminating the public service loan forgiveness program. Some of the positives are they're reinstating the federal Pell Grant eligibility for short-term education programs and for some currently incarcerated students who are being released within five years, increasing career and technical education funding by $900 million, and putting caps on graduate and parent loans with annual and lifetime limits. Parent less loans for undergrads will be limited to $26,500. Graduate students would be capped at $50,000 annually and $100,000 total. Who knows how this budget plan will go and be changed, but that is the way that Trump's kind of got his education budget lined up should he get reelected. Wallet Hub, these guys are really good at making these cool color graphs comparing state to state, but this is actually very misleading. So what they did here is they took the 2020s property taxes by state. And I guess it's kind of good because they have it a sort of an interactive table where you can click on the effective tax real estate tax rate here. And number one lowest is Hawaii at 0.27%. Number two is Alabama at 0.42% effective tax rate on the real estate. You know, you got to use your brain here because obviously Hawaii's average medium price is probably about three or four times that of Alabama. So you have to really look at what is the annual taxes on a median home. That next column over the annual taxes on a $200,000 home 
home, to me, that column is meaningless because that's a mansion in Alabama and you frankly can't find a 300 square foot house in Hawaii for that much. State medium home value, as you can see there, $130,000 in Alabama to $587,000 in Hawaii. But for those of you in Hawaii, that's the price of paradise. You live where you want, invest where the numbers make sense. I actually like the fourth column here, annual taxes on home price at state medium value. I think that's where you're starting to see where the true numbers are being shown. Because a lot of times, like our Facebook group, for example, someone will chime in and say, well, you know, Alabama has low taxes, right? And here, the effective tax rate is the number two lowest in the country, but you got to go on the based on the value. So like another one is a famous one is like Chicago. Chicago has really high taxes and sort of high values. So that can really skew your numbers. Again, I would just recommend if you're looking at rental properties, just put it into the analyzer and see how the numbers turn out and compare the number at the bottom of the spreadsheet, which is anticipated cash flow on your pro forma. We kind of had a lot of bad news. So I wanted to put in a slide with some good news. And these are all five headlines of, hey, look on the brighter side, guys. It's not all doom and gloom. First one here by CNBC, the US is experiencing the longest economic expansion on record, besting the period from 1991 to 2001. Some guys probably like, oh, yeah, well, it's going to end soon. Well, you should enjoy the good times right now. New York Times says the decade-long U.S. expansion has generated 20 million jobs. Market Watch says 3.4% year-over-year wage growth is the strongest in more than a decade. Yahoo Finance says January 2020 had a record job growth in the private sector, largest monthly gain since March 2015. And the White House at Gov, who is always trying to toot their horn, says the U.S. hit the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years in 2009. Of course, there's a lot of questions whether how do you take the unemployment rate? Is it legit? But right now, things are pretty good. I mean, and people are working. And I haven't really seen any indicators saying that larger companies are laying people off, decreasing their orders. And in my mastermind I'm in, somebody predicted the 2008 meltdown in there. And that person was like a big time builder. And they were saying that they knew it was coming down when the foot traffic that were checking out those new bills just weren't there. The demand just dried up. And that was when they knew it was the end. And that's why I spent $25,000 to go to groups like that, because they are closer to the action. And hopefully I can react better than the average bear out there by having that information. And I don't want to just sit on the sideline. I, I know I say this so many times, but it's because I talk to so many new investors, you know, they'll book a free intro call with me, we'll chat. And a lot of investors will have this mindset of like, well, it's the top of the market, I'm just gonna hold back. And I think that's a huge mistake, especially if your net worth is under half a million dollars, you need to get out there and you need to swing the bat and go into equity deals and grow your net worth. You might be hearing guys that are four or five, ten million dollars and above sitting on their high horse saying they're not doing anything right now. Well, guess what? They can do nothing. They can live off one, two percent off that large portfolio and not do anything. And I ultimately think it's just newer investors just kind of shooting themselves in the foot. So Deloitte did a report on the personal saving rate of Americans. And they said, while the personal savings rate has been trending upward, average savings calculated using the consumer expenditure survey has been on a broad decline since 2010-2012 for consumers across income levels and for key working age groups. So we got a little graph here showing how different groups are saving their money, which ultimately I think that's the most important statistic to keep. You know, whenever I have a consult with an investor, yeah, I like to know how much you make and how much you spend, but I ultimately want to know how much you net at the end of the year. Again, most investors in our group, their 
are able to save maybe about $30,000 a year. Some of the ones that are a little better making able to save $50,000 a year. That means they might be able to buy two rental properties a year. Not saying they would, right? But because you'll probably go crazy after you get five or 10 of those turnkey rentals, but they're exponentially growing their portfolio. So what this graph is kind of showing, one thing I pick up on is from 2008, you know, everybody got shell-shocked and the recession brought people back to frugalness. And I think there was a hashtag trend out there where it was cool to be frugal, right? I read another book and they coined this term called the great forgetting. And they say people will normally forget how things were in like eight to 12 years. And I think that's what's going on here. Maybe people got really frugal 2008 to 2009, 10, 11, 12, but you're seeing that decline start to happen in 2013, especially in the top 20% of folks. And the other takeaway I have from this graph is it's just a little sad that the top 20% have so much disposable income. And that's why that, you know, they go into the, all these deals and that's great, right? But the people who in the 80, 60 to 80 percentile, 40 to 60 percentile, 20 to 40% percentile, like they just are not able to create any net at the end of the year. In fact, the people that are below 40%, they are negative. They're, they're like going into debt every single year. So some new podcasts that I have created this past month are up here. We did some discussions with uh, asset protection. If you guys think LLCs are the end-all be-all, well, that's just where it starts. And then people that are million, $2 million net worth and above should probably be looking into irrevocable trusts and potentially even international trusts. We had Marco Centarelli of Norada who talked about top things ignorant investors do. And again, one of those kind of shoot themselves in the foot, not doing anything. Some of the top markets to invest in 2020. And all these are short YouTube clips that I've created in the YouTube channel. So if you guys want to go there and share it with friends, I'd appreciate it. How do the rich use land conservation easements? What interest rate to expect from private money lending? Don't invest in short-term rentals until you understand this. Where's the best marketing platform for short-term rentals? Another big one is how is the politics and rent control affect where you should invest? I just stick to the red state simple double basic cash flow right big changes to your retirement accounts and if you didn't hear what they did with the secure act better go and check out that article on how the secure act screwed millions out of people's retirements and do i need asset protection on my retirement accounts was answered in that short form but if you guys have any more questions go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash question and type it in there if you leave your email we'll try and get an answer back to you so a little bit of what i've been up to and again these all come from the Tony Robbins six needs versus growth. So I started to employ a coach to keep me accountable and compress time for me and basically eliminate the time that I lie to myself continually. I've been doing this for about a month and already it's just been totally worth its money, I think. Consider a accountability partner for yourself if you can't afford it. But yeah, I mean, at the price I pay for this thing, it pays for itself like four or five times over. They're like the emotions that you have, the thoughts you're having is a sign. It's your job to turn that sign into action. And most times in the past, I would just like ignore it, right? But as I tell somebody, a coach who has skin in the game in me being successful, they kind of tease that out and they don't let me just be okay with it. Contribution. So I actually had a call. I'm trying to work out something where we can contribute to some kind of a charity. I think if the URL is like simple passive 
cashflow.com slash charity, you can see the couple projects we've done in the past. But my problem is like, I don't have the time to find good causes to give to. And I don't want it to just go into oblivion, like a Red Cross thing. And not saying it's a bad cause, but I'd rather be a little bit more, I mean, I'm totally acting like a spoiled rich person, but I want to have control over it. I want to designate where it goes. And one cool site that I found was Donors Choose. So I had a consult with them today, figuring out what we can do as a group to pull our money together and something where I can go in there maybe an hour a month and select individual projects. And what's cool in there is that like my wife's a teacher. So we did this with her classroom last year. And uh, but quite frankly, she can't spend all the money. I mean, there's just, and there's a lot of need on this other this site from other teachers, but it's really cool because the teachers, they give you feedback, the kids write you letters and they give you like a monthly report on what's happening. So you really feel like you're making a difference. But I want to go in there and hand select projects that are aligned with financial literacy education. Somebody wants to buy a seesaw or some kind of, I think it was like a canoe or something. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And that's where I'm going to get involved, try and pick some of those projects. But if you guys have something else or somebody else in our Hui wants to take the lead on being the point person for selecting these type of charities, let me know. Number three here, significance. Again, I working with that coach and something that I'm realizing working with them is I need to try and find a way to make a bigger impact, whether it's for ego or what I, I feel that I need to help spread the word of financial freedom and investing the right way. Too many people are just misled by the wrong things like paying off debt. I mean, if you pay off debt, you'll never buy assets that grow your net worth. That's exactly what they want you to do. If there wasn't debt, people would never own their houses. I'm not saying that buying a house to live in is a good idea. Number four, how did I create uncertainty in my life? Because sometimes you need to get out of your comfort zone. I don't have any bigger plans for this year. So if you guys come up with ideas of cool stuff for our group to do, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just a little tired since we had the Hui 3 in Hawaii a few weeks ago. How did I create some certainty? The Hui 3 was really cool. And I'll put some pictures on it here. That was us. And that was how I fulfilled that last love and connection because people is what makes all the difference. But people came over for probably about four days, five days, actually, if you count the, the first night. And it was a lot of fun. And it's something I think that I'm just speaking for myself, something I'll probably remember forever. It's not often you get a group of 30 to 55 year olds in a room or out hiking out on the beach for a sunrise, out to a luau, out playing some pickleball and escape rooms where you can do something fun with first total strangers, but really start to bond over some of the like-mindedness of the financial freedom aspect. And you know, what do you do to build a legacy? So that was something that I want to do in more in the future. And I am thinking this Hawaii Mastermind thing might be a annual event, ran more like a family reunion than a just another real estate event. Um, so maybe Martha Luther King weekend might be a good time to do it. This time was a little weird with Valentine's Day involved on the first day. I had to go to 98 degrees. So that kind of took a lot of energy out of Yeah, maybe mark your calendar. It might be a little premature, but Martha Luther King 2021. Let me see you guys in Hawaii. Some of the resistance and barriers after leaving my day job, I'm realizing that it's just me is the barrier. And it always was. And people always say, well, you must have a lot of this extra time to do what you want. And I honestly say that I probably get almost the same amount done today as I did when I was working a full day job. I might get like 10, 20% more done without the day job, but I think it's, there's a lot less stress, a lot better quality of life. And it just brings perspective that people, especially for the people who don't like their day jobs, most people have to 
spend at least 40 hours a week feeding the time clock and for what, right? Yeah, you make some good friends at work, but if you didn't have to go to that job, would you still hang out with those people? Maybe, maybe not. So if there's any way I can help anybody get out of financial freedom, you know, that's what I'm trying to rack my head around. How can I help the most people get out of this? A quick technology tip, wrote a quick article on how do you create an instant note without opening up the lock feature on your iPhone every single time? I just get so many ideas and I'm sure a lot of you guys get so many ideas and just trying to capture it is one of the most important things, especially if you've read the whole GTD getting things done methods. I finished up this willpower doesn't work, which I actually thought was, it wasn't a bad book. I thought like it was just had a lot of different strategies in there. And I think if you just listen to it, not at 2x speed or 3x speed, you just listen at 1x speed, it might incite some habit changes or new processes you can put into your daily life. So I just wrapped that up and I'm starting to read The Go-Giver now. I think the premise is helping others get to where they want to be and the rest should fall into place. And I'm starting the book club. So what we're going to do here is every other month, probably the last Saturday of the month, every other month, we are going to do a webinar or a meeting. And whoever wants to join on, you know, you don't have to be in the Passive Investor Accelerator Mastermind and just jump on and hopefully you read the book. But the goal here is to read five or six books a year. And uh, you guys can join there at simplepassivecashflow.com slash lane hat and click the button, register with Zoom and you can join us on all the bi-monthly calls we have on the books. So if you guys go there, sign up and there you go. You got two months. I think the next one I'll have it is April 25th, which is Saturday, where we'll be going over the good giver. So you guys got two months to read it. So better get started now. And if you haven't checked out the Passive Investor Accelerator Mastermind, we are pretty much done with the first year of it in existence. Some investors are phasing out of it. And that was my goal, right? Get them in, get you guys up to a point where you guys can analyze deals and be able to create your network and build some friendships. And if you guys want to get out, right? It's not one of those things that you need to be in forever. Maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you can come back later. But yeah, we got some openings there. So if you guys want to check that out, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. So somebody asked, how'd you find or choose your coach? So I just went through the Tony Robbins folks. I can connect you with my guy, but yeah, I mean, supposedly you do like this disc exam and this personality test and they fit you with somebody. I don't know if that's really how it is, but I was like, as a speaking as an entrepreneur, everybody's an entrepreneur these days, right? You don't know who's legit or who's just faking it. So I just want to go to some brand that was sort of okay. And I'm sure Tony Robbins brand and their directory of coaches is sort of okay. Maybe even pretty good. Who knows? But I just didn't have the bandwidth to go find a coach. And some people recommended one rule. If you want to really go and roll up your sleeves and go find your own coach, a recommendation that was given to me is you always go off a referral, which is like, oh, right? Like that's what we do with property managers, brokers, everybody, right? syndicators, it's always off referral. And then they said, well, try it out. You can do a few sessions with somebody and another session with somebody else and just try it out, see how it works. Cause that coach, it may not jive with you or may, you may really resonate with them. And another question I had was, well, does this person need to run a podcast and be in real estate and do the stuff I do? And the conclusion that I came up with that you may or may not agree with is that no, they don't need to know anything about what you do. They don't even need to know what a rental property is or they don't, 
their role is to apply a framework of getting results with you and keeping you accountable and calling out on your BS. And if they can do that, they probably do 80 to 90% of what you're looking to do. So I think that's just my opinion is they don't really be doing what you're doing. I think if you're looking for that type of person, you're looking more for a specific business coach. Thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next month. And be sure to tell your friends about the podcast and have a good evening, everybody. Bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.